a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Welcome back. Final segment of Inside Sources today. Great to be with you. I am Boyd Matheson. Uh, we've been talking a lot throughout the day today. A uh, little analysis on the current age of the United States Senate, uh, oldest in history. A lot of folks hanging around uh, really long, uh, led by Diane Feinstein at 88 years of age, and uh, many members of Congress who actually went there when they were young and are still there, uh, well into their late 70s and 80s. And uh, to me, it's it's less about the chronological clock as much as it is how much time they've actually spent back in Washington, D.C. I just don't believe that the founders uh, anticipated that kind of uh, hanging on to power. They really did anticipate that it would be seasonal work and and recognizing and being humble enough to realize that the republic will go on uh, whether you're there or not. Uh, that is the key. If you, if you missed earlier in the program, we had a uh, great interview uh, with a professor from Syracuse University uh, who talked about the fact that many of the founders were a little worried and uh, even disillusioned and, and kind of pessimistic about the future of the country uh, before they passed away. And a lot of that was, was for very interesting reasons. Washington uh, was very worried about the republic because of the partisanship. Hamilton was was worried about it because uh, he didn't think the federal government was strong enough. Uh, Adams was worried that the people didn't possess the right temperament and the right values and ethics to sustain it. And, of course, Jefferson uh, saw that many of the things that were beginning to divide the country, including slavery, were, were going to be the downfall. And it was really Madison who uh, was the optimist of the group. He lived the longest. He saw the Republic go through a lot of the early battles as it transitioned from party to party and from different philosophies. Uh, But yet he remained ultimately optimistic in the future of the country. All the founders, I think, agreed that uh, nobody uh, was irreplaceable, that everyone, while having important roles to play, for sure, uh, that no one no one was to be king and no one was to be treated like the king. And so as we've talked about that and so many members of Congress who just uh, believe that the republic will fall apart if they leave office, and it, it's just not true, and that we as voters have to reject the argument of seniority, that the only way to get something done is to stay there forever and become the chairperson of a big, powerful committee. That's not the way it was designed. That's not the way it was supposed to be. Uh, George Washington, of course, was uh, one of those extraordinary leaders, uh, probably one of the greatest in history. Following the Revolutionary War, uh, he had access to absolute power. He could have been, and scores of Americans wanted him to be the king. Uh, Many declared him to be indispensable and the irreplaceable man. 
Uh, and sadly, you know, when most men and most women hear those kinds of accolades about being indispensable, uh, they listen to that siren song and assume, you know, it's a choir of angels ringing in their head, and they begin to believe it, and they begin to act that way. And that's part of the big problem we have in our nation's capital. Washington knew better. He rejected the throne of irreplaceability and set the standard for a servant leadership, a seasonal leadership approach for everyone to follow. Uh, I saw this over and over and over again, uh, this fallacy of the irreplaceable, indispensable. I saw it in my work as a business consultant. I'd, I'd hear companies say, oh, you know, Mary's irreplaceable, Steve's indispensable. Uh, that usually meant they had a big problem. You know, what happens if Mary quits tomorrow or Steve gets hit by a bus? Uh, and often that would kind of draw nervous laughs, you know, from the executive team. And then they start thinking through, oh, wait a minute, maybe maybe we are doing this wrong. And granted, some people are harder to replace than others. No, no question about that. And this is not about loyalty. Uh, this is about irreplaceable. Uh, irreplaceable often becomes a constraining force for innovation. It becomes a restraining force against the future of a community or a country. Uh, dictators use this all the time. <laughs> I'm irreplaceable. Uh, you're too divided. You need me here. And sadly, the American people have bought into that irreplaceable syndrome. It still astounds me for all the complaints we hear about Congress and that their approval rating, while hovering somewhere between 9 and 14 percent, uh, which last we checked is about the same popularity as the coronavirus itself, and yet incumbents who run for re-election in Congress are re-elected at a rate of well over 90% every election cycle. And so even though we we challenge the status quo from time to time, it's too easy to buy into this idea that some people are irreplaceable. It also kind of fosters this idea that whenever there's a problem, we somehow need some political savior to waltz in from Washington and fix our problems, which to me is part of the problem. It further weakens the country as more and more citizens absolve themselves of personal responsibility and look to government to solve all the problems. Uh, we should never make government irreplaceable, by the way. Uh, it has a role to play, to be sure. Uh, but ultimately, this ends up in an imperial presidency uh, where politicians and their political pals and pawns are running and often ruining the nation. Uh, it never ends well for the everyday citizens. Uh, and you only have to look at places like Venezuela and others that provide perspective of what the irreplaceable leader turns into a strong man that turns into a dictator. Uh, it's not hard to see the progression of that. And we've seen it over and over throughout history. So if we begin to view our political leaders as replaceable, they will be. Think about that. If we view them as replaceable, they will be replaceable. And elections will become less consequential to our lives because we'll make the federal government less consequential in our lives. Uh, I've shared on this program before that during my time in Washington, uh, most nights I would walk through the Capitol Rotunda well after midnight on most nights. 
And I would often pause there and spend a few moments just uh, gazing at the, the great paintings, the murals there in the rotunda. And my favorite, of course, was Washington resigning his commission. And I'm telling you, when you stand in that rotunda, especially an empty rotunda at midnight, uh, you can hear and sense and know the principles that made Washington an authentic and extraordinary leader for this country. Uh, I have always thought that what we really need in terms of a federal holiday would actually be December 23rd, 1783. Uh, That's a day worth celebrating. It's actually a day worth emulating. Uh, December 23rd, 1783 was the ultimate act of servant leadership. George Washington resigned his commission before the Continental Congress. And as I've mentioned many times, it's one of the few times in history, any history, that the commander of the conquering forces did not assume complete authority, control, and power, but instead returned it to the citizens and their representatives. So Washington understood something. He understood that power is not something to amass, barter with, or cling to. He didn't see it as a tool for pursuing political purposes and self-promotion. And while many claimed him to be indispensable and even irreplaceable, Washington knew that the future of the nation wasn't dependent on him. He believed America's destiny should be secured down through the ages by the citizens, the individuals who would enter the world stage, make a contribution, and then move on. And that's the real test. And the thing that we always have to remember, everybody's replaceable, everybody's dispensable, and it's the individual Americans living and then applying indispensable truths and irreplaceable principles that guarantee America will remain a nation. And so that's what is indispensable. Indispensable truths, irreplaceable principles is where the focus should be. I'm Boyd Matheson. Thanks for joining us on Inside Sources today here on KSL News Radio. And as always, as you go out into the world, make sure you see something that inspires, say something that uplifts, and do something that makes a difference. A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.